0: Well, good morning. My name is Chad. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, it would be uh, an honor and a privilege. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just good to see your faces out here. I love celebrating baptism, and we love celebrating this girl in particular. We love Abby, and it's just such a moment that we get to, to step into today. We have been walking through, for the last few months, First Corinthians. And we're not moving away from that. We're just kind of taking it out of order. We moved to chapter 16 simply to speak to men directly starting out this year. And we wanted to take three weeks to speak to men. So last week, we started this section of the text that be watchful, men being called to, to being watchmen for families, for the church, in their own lives, but also in their own communities. Next week, we'll come back and take this, this last part of this, this passage. Let all that you do be done in love. And, and Josh Curry, our lead pastor, will be out here, and he will walk through this with us. But this week, we're, we're stepping into this middle section, a middle section which is challenging, Uh, A middle section which is understandably jarring in this world that we live. uh, uh, Imperatives that demand a response. We don't get to just read this and walk away. And it would be easy just to nod our heads at verses like these or shake our heads in disgust by verses like these. And what we actually want to do is just be people who live under the authority of God's word. Yet we also need to acknowledge that these words, act like men, be strong, are culturally jarring. They're culturally jarring for us. What we'll see as we walk through the text today, as we, what we'll see when we do this, and, and here's how we're going to do it. I want to I unpack, I want to do my best to, to help us uh, explain the text that we're sitting in today. I, I want to give an example, and we'll do that from the book of Judges, and we'll look at Gideon, Gideon's life. and We'll just talk through the, the story of Gideon a little bit, but then we want to have uh, just three takeaways, three takeaways for us today from this in which help us to live past the, the jarring aspects of our culture and to stand under the authority of God's word. And so uh, we need help with this. I need help with this. Uh, I, I want to pray for all of us, and I want you to pray for me, that God would move in this room this morning. And so join me in that. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what we just got to see in baptism. We thank you for where you're leading us, which is to your body broken for us. We thank you for everything in between, your word spoken over our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears of faith to hear. Help us to receive, and Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, which is work on our hearts. Work on our hearts, God. And so right now, we we say, Holy Spirit, come, meet us in this moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So our text today, written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us these words, act like men. Be strong. And the question that kind of comes up, the question that we need to answer and work around, work and deal with, is why not just encourage us to act like people? Why why would it not simply say, act like people? That would be so much easier. That would be such an easier pill to swallow, Chad. Why does it not just say, act like people? Because men and women have so many things in common. Men and women are image bearers of God. Men men and women are equal in value and in dignity. Men and women share the, the need to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Both men and women are called to grow theologically, like to be thinking deeply about what it means to grow in faith, to grow in hope, biblical hope, and to grow in real love, biblical love. And so men and women are called to all of these things. Both men and women uh, are, are called to that basic development of character. What does that look like? Because, like, let's just be honest. Honesty is not just for men. Honesty is for all of us. It's character issue, and so how how I want to start in addressing that is just to, to acknowledge and name that there are powerful masculine and feminine virtues. There are powerful masculine and feminine virtues that are distinct and different. We don't want to flatten everything in this world and say everything applies to everyone. And they're also like truly ugly and marring masculine and feminine vices. Both of those are true. And so to follow Jesus is to follow him into the renovation, renovating, reclaiming this, and the restoration of manhood and womanhood as as core, essential parts of our personhood. I realize that we live in a moment in which would say there are no distinctions with any of it, and yet the Word of God speaks clear to us. We spend so much time obsessing over the edges, finding all the spots of like, how far can I go? How far does this let me go? Where is the line that I'm not supposed to cross that we miss the common and the obvious teaching of God's Word? It quite clearly says, act like men. not going to run from that. The Bible doesn't warn men about uh, nagging their wives. Nor does it warn women about being heavy-handed with their husbands, though like we live in a world of reality. We know both are possible. We absolutely know both of those are possible. It, It also doesn't warn men about immodesty, though I know I've wanted to have that conversation with some men in my life. It doesn't warn women about provoking their children to anger. And yet we know that that is possible. We know it's possible. And so the Bible uses this term. It says, act like men. And that's ancient shorthand. It's ancient shorthand for for courage, for standing and courage and all that comes with it. All that comes with it it is the foundation, the building block of of walking out our faith. this, This foundational baseline of masculine virtue. And there's certainly more that can be said about this, but there's not less. If we're going to stand as men in this culture, we need to also act like men in this culture. And be strong. And yet here's one of those gaps that we experience. The call to act like men and the call for courage, the call to stand in courage, is so much better on paper than it is in practice. We like the idea of courage. We want to be courageous people. We think of ourselves as courageous people. And yet, that's such a nice thought until we're scared and we're stretched. It's one thing to say that this is true in our life. It's another thing to practice it. It's one thing to say I'm courageous, but we find that gap when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed, when we're confronted even with our own selfishness and or laziness. And there are moments that we're called to in which those spots right there, those, those spots in the normal moments of life, the quiet moments of life, are actually spots that forge courage and strength in our life that we often ignore. Let me give you an example. I am captivated. I use that word intentionally. I am captivated by the idea of one day climbing Everest, I've read, I'll watch any documentary on it. I love it. I've seen the people who have had like frostbite take their nose, and I'm like, still, I'm in. I want in on this. And let me be also super honest with you. I've done officially nothing to prepare myself for Everest. Nothing. And if I were to stand up and say, I'm going to climb Everest tomorrow, friends, I would die. I would die. And what I've found in my own life, I've seen it in so many other lives, is that we all like the idea of courage, and we all like the idea that God's inviting us into. We just don't want to walk out the steps necessary. What we find out, if you read anything about climbing Everest, is that it is a monumental task just to get to base camp. And then it's straight up from there almost literally so many of us like to win we like winning i like winning games i like winning in sports i want to win and yet so many of us don't actually want to do the work to compete and to dig deep we want the glory without the grind we want all the the things that go along with it without actually stepping into it and we want to say i'm a man without actually acting like a man And that's where we find ourselves in this text. That's where we find ourselves hearing this calling from God. And it's also right here where the Spirit of God through the work of Jesus wants to meet you and I this morning. Not as some sort of pinata that the Bible is beating up, but as an invitation into the identity that God has called you as a man to stand in and to walk that out to walk that out. It's an invitation of restoration. It's an invitation of cultivating. It's an invitation of, of maybe even redeeming what's broken in our thinking about this and our practice about it. It's an invitation to uh, real courage. And that that's actually deep, right? Moral courage. Standing in this moment of following Jesus, of doing the right thing, even though our culture would speak against it. Not in some cartoonish way, but in a thoughtful, thought-out way. Saying, like, when we fail, not, not just trying to cover that up or hide, but repenting. Men, act like a man is leading the way in repentance. He's leading the way in Repentance. It's a moral courage. It's a theological courage. If you're going to stand in in, in real morality, then there's an aspect in which you need to know what the Bible has called us to. A theological courage. And men, that's not something you can outsource. That's something that you can get tons of help for. We live in an age in which we can get more help than ever in the history of man. We can get help online with other people from, from... books and everything written for thousands of years. We can get help in abundance. But there's a part of you that needs to stand and take responsibility for it. Have the courage to to grow in your faith. And, And hear me, if you feel helpless in that, we want to help you. This is not to beat any man up in here. We want to help you. There's a relational courage that's necessary When the Bible says act like men, it's calling you to walk out in courage morally, theologically, but also relationally in that this is not a solo project. This is not just me and myself and God doing this together. This is us doing this as the body of Christ, invited into the body of Christ. And so men, that means maybe getting over yourself a little bit, being vulnerable enough a bit to say, I need brothers in my life hey they're going to drive you crazy sometimes a lot of times they're going to do things different than you they're going to say things different than you and yet it is all for your good for my good i have brothers speaking into my life every single day every single day And if you hear the message of God's word today, part of that is to grow in your courage morally, theologically, relationally, When things get tough, that we don't just walk away. When someone tells you your stuff stinks, we don't just uh, bristle and go away. When someone tells you you have sin in your life, you're not just walking away saying, I'm the only one who knows this about my life. We actually set our keys on the table and we say, I'm not going anywhere. I need you to sharpen me even when we disagree. I need you in my life. And then... There's also a call, a real call to physical courage. There's a spot in which there are times in which we we literally have to stand. In a physical sense, stand in those moments. But it doesn't start there. And so many times I I hear and see men who start physically and they say like look what I can do I can I can lift all this stuff I can I can run all this race I can do all sorts of things and yet that is the smallest piece of this it's the smallest piece of what we're talking about when the bible calls us to act like men you see because courage doesn't start in the weight room courage starts on the inside and it works its way out it works its way out Courage starts inside and moves towards others. Not to show off for others, not to better others, but for others. And listen, if you're going to walk in courage and to act like a man, you are going to need strength, which is why the next words say, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Strength is the load bearing weight of being a man who takes responsibility. Being strong is taking responsibility. It isn't what you bench. Being strong is taking responsibility for what you are called to hold. It's the resilience needed to put courage into action for yourself. You need this. For your family, your family needs you to take responsibility, not to be the answer person, not to do everything, not to be the hero, but to take responsibility. There are times in my home, in my marriage, where it is a blessing to my wife that I step and make the hard decision. And hear this, it never comes without us working together It doesn't come as boss, but it comes as partner. Your family needs you to take responsibility. Your church needs you to take responsibility. Even if you're a guest here and you go to some other church, your church needs you to take responsibility. All of that is at play right here for it. Strength is built under resistance. We know this kind of in our in our heads. We know this. We know this, this is why people have signed up uh, by the droves for Crunch Fitness, and you've gotten all the stuff just like I have. People uh, grow strength under resistance, but that's not the only type of strength that there is. Let me give you an example. I have a friend, I have a friend, and I will affectionately describe him as a monster. He is a big dude. He is a big, scary looking dude, and and everything about him looks like it's gonna rip through his shirt and his thighs and all this stuff, and you're like, man, that guy is a scary dude. I used to play basketball, and he makes the all get off the bus team, which means, like, you see that guy get off the bus, and you're like, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. It is going to be a long day. And in my conversations with him, my conversation, I call him P. In my conversations with P, it's like, man, when are you going to marry that girlfriend of yours? That girlfriend who's been living with you? That girlfriend that, that you've been walking with for a long time? When are you going to take responsibility And he keeps telling me, he keeps telling me in all my conversations, you know, not right now, I'm just not even sure. And ultimately it comes down to courage and responsibility. He's got all of the physical strength. But there's an inner strength in which my friend is lacking. And I love that guy. Let me tell you about another friend. This guy does not get off the bus the same way. He is a a smaller, diminutive man. He uh, does not talk loud. He's not going to wow anyone sitting across the table. He's not going to do any of that, and yet he is a monster for his family in the best way possible. He's led them to prayer in some of the hardest times. He's led them to truth when everything around them wants to scream and run away. He's led them to stay in the fight when fear would overtake. He's led them again and again to the heart of the Father, not because he can bench a certain amount, but because of a strength that is not seen with eyes. He stands and he acts like a man, and he encourages people near and far because of that. So we're not trying to play up some sort of cartoonish stereotype or caricature, messed up pictures of what a man is that someone would draw out. But we're trying to say, act like a man. And what that looks like is embodied character. Like a lived out character that comes from sitting with the Lord, being moved and changed by God, and seeing him at work. Notice our text, it does not say, strut around like a hero. It doesn't say, puff yourself up and show everybody that you're the hero of the story, because there's one hero. Jesus is the hero of the whole story, every page of scripture. Jesus is the hero. He is big S, capital, all caps, Savior. Savior of the world. He's the one who confronts evil, not just on a one-off, but ultimately. He's the one who goes for the beloved. He's the one who goes sacrificially at great cost to himself to and for the beloved. It's Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story. And maybe one of the things that we need to hear as men today is stop trying to be the hero of the story. And recognize, recognize who God has called you to be. A follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus who's confronting evil. Confronting evil. A follower of Jesus who would stand in harm's way for the beloved. For those that God has entrusted to you. The one who has called you in so many ways to live with purpose as a lesser little s Savior in the spaces and places that he has placed you. That he's placed you. You see, when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of that purpose and that calling in Scripture, then we start coming to church and think, oh, it's just, it's just an hour block on my schedule. It's just this time that I have to do each week. It's just this thing that we have to walk through. And ultimately, then we go, man, that's boring or that's strange or, or all these things just don't make sense in our time. And so I just keep going through the motion, but it all grows numb and it loses meaning. God is calling you and I to something more to something more. Men, you are more than your work. You're more than your work. You're more than the work you fantasize about. You're more than fantasy football. You're more than fantasy friendships. You're more than, than fantasy combat. You're more than fantasy sex. You are more than all of those things. You're called to not live in a fantasy, but to act like men. To act like men and to be strong. The calling of God on your life is crazy. It's calling to so much more. So hear me, if you think That the calling from Christ is is something that is just boring. You are missing what God has called you to. And we need better stories for what it looks like to be a man. We need better stories. Stories matter. The stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that are told to us. We live in a day and age in which the story of men is not very helpful. It's not very helpful. Until we we remind ourselves that the stories that we feast on are stories that form us, stories that we need to know. And there are also stories that we don't need to know. Let me give you an example. Maybe you're a reader, maybe you're not. I'm not trying to drum up some massive debate right here, but let me just use the Lord of the Rings as an example. Let me nerd out for just a second and use the Lord of the Rings as an example. We need Frodo's and Samwise's in our life. We need them. We also need Peregrine Tooks and Mary Brandybuck. And here's a spot where I'm just going to overstep my boundaries for just a second. I'm going to overstep my boundaries. This is where we need the books far more than we need the movies. Again, don't come after me right now. We need the books far more than we need the movies because the movies portray everything as a war story. And the books are telling you there's a lot to be said about potatoes. There's a lot to be said on long walks and weird songs. There's a lot to be said in quiet moments. And you know what those moments do? Those moments form courage in these guys that Mount Doom could not. It's those quiet moments. It's those slow walks. It's those moments of fear when nobody's around. Or your brother's around right next to you and saying, I promised not to let you go alone. We need those stories in our life. We need to hear the benefit of second breakfast and we need to recognize that courage isn't formed at the gates of Mordor. Courage is formed in those quiet moments where God is meeting us and stirring us and preparing us for life and life ahead of us. It's God forming us. And so I wanna spend the rest of our time looking at a story. Looking at a story of a man in which God was doing work in. And here it is. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 6. And we'll talk about this story. This story of Manasseh and not Middle Earth. It's a story from God and not Tolkien. It's so much more important for us. And it, it, it helps us to see the bigger story of every bit of it. Because just like Frodo... Just like Bilbo, Gideon goes on an unexpected journey right here. God forms him. God does a work in him. And we see it at the beginning of chapter 6. At the beginning of chapter 6, we get this explanation for what's going on. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The people of Israel, the people of promise, the people that God set free, that God God brought through the desert, that God brought through all of the slavery, everything. They went back to sin. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Now, catch this. Catch this, because what's happening in Israel is something that happens in us. We believe a lie, big and small at times, in ways that are so clear everyone can see, like a billboard you drive by, and in other ways in which no one sees. We believe this lie that if we just would go after and pursue our own joy and find our own potential, then we'll be happy. We can just do it on our own ways, and that's what's happening with these people. Like, we reject God's authority, and we're just going to go after what seems right to make me happy right now that's what's happening and then notice where it leads these people who are the promise of god these people who have been set free actually end up living in dens it says and in caves that moves from promised land to like living like animals it moves from living in your identity and your image to the image of God to living like an animal. It actually reduces him, it's dehumanizing. Sin dehumanizes us. We think we'll be free. We'll be free if we just do what feels right, and yet the opposite is true. The nights have come for seven years, and, and now they've consumed everything. And I say that word. Specifically because it says that the Midianites have come like locusts. And they take all of it. And so what seems like just living into your freedom, just living into your joy, just, just living into whatever feels right, I'm going to do it, actually lays waste of life. And the enemy has flooded in. But there's good news even right here. There's good news right here in the story, right here in this moment, because what we get in verse 6 is that Israel recognizes that they're a train wreck. And they cry out to God in verses 7 and 8. And God hears their cry. Friends, like maybe this is what you need to hear today. Maybe this is what you need to hear today. You don't have to wait till the end to say, God, I need you. God, I've, I've run off the rails. God, I, I've been going after my own way. And, and you know and I know that my heart is far from you. Maybe you need to hear that today, that, that God can hear your cry even in this moment, even in the silence of this moment. It doesn't wait for some altar call or for some ending. God can hear your cry and meet you right here. In this spot. We get this good news. But it doesn't end there, does it? The story doesn't end there. It goes right into this moment that God doesn't just say, oh, it's all going to be better. No. God is at work. God is at work. And he does the strangest thing because the Savior, the Savior of the world, calls a little s Savior. A little as savior to be his man of the moment. Calls Gideon. And we have this story of the angel of the Lord showing up. And it's, it's super fascinating. It's what, it's what scholars, commentators call a Christophany, in which there is a physical manifestation of the living God in the Old Testament, that, that the living God shows up. And it goes back and forth, and you can see it in the text because there are some spots where Lord is capitalized, and you get this, and there are some spots where you're like, wait, why is that here going on? And you see Gideon responds. Gideon's like, sir, he's talking to a person right here before him, the living God, the all caps Savior, shows up in this story long before incarnation in Nazareth, long before Bethlehem in this baby being born, is the living God who shows up in this story and speaks truth into Gideon's life. He says, Almighty oh, man, Now, here's where we find Gideon. Gideon is in a cave. He's actually, uh, with a wine press, uh, beating out the wheat, which is a whole weird story unto itself. But essentially what's happening is that he's hiding. He's from the smallest tribe. He's from the weakest family. He's nobody in his own sight. Here's God who shows up in his life and speaks identity and purpose over him. And in a moment in which Gideon is anything but a mighty man of valor, God speaks it over his life. He says, Gideon, you're more than you think you are, and I'm doing more than you could ever imagine. And he calls Gideon to stand up in this moment and to act like a man. He calls him to fight the Midianites. And Gideon's knees are rightly shaken. He calls him to stand in this moment and to go. And you are going to be my man in this moment, Gideon. And here it is. Gideon, go. Calls him, a mighty man of valor. And then in verse 14, he says, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, I send you. And so I want to end our time with three takeaways. Three takeaways. One is about the presence of God. One is about the presence of God. One is about the proximity in which these things often start and take place. And the the third one is around the feelings that we carry, all of the things that are bubbling inside of us. I want to walk through each one of those real quickly and, and speak to them. Because here's that first takeaway. The presence of God is Gideon's strength, not whatever weight he can push. It's the presence of God, and it's in verse 16. He says, The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And friends, this is as straightforward as I can make it. This is the pattern of God. It's not the ability. It's not the morality. It's not the the goodness of these people. It's God who empowers That was true with Moses, right? Moses felt all his inability. Moses knew his speech impediment, and yet God still called him to speak to the most powerful man on the planet. That's true for Joshua. Joshua stepping into some big shoes following Moses. Joshua is called to lead the people, and God even says, they're not gonna listen to you, Joshua, and yet I have a purpose for you. I have a purpose for you. Stand, be strong and courageous, Joshua. This is true for the disciples. The disciples who felt all their inadequacy when Jesus, post-resurrection, shows up and says, go, I'm sending you jokers, sending you jokers to the end of the earth. Teach them, teach them all my ways. Call them, baptize them. And then he ends it with, I'm with you. I'm with you. And friends, that is the same call to you and to me. When the Bible says, act like a man, he's not saying to puff yourself up, start dressing different. He's calling you to stand with the Lord who is your strength. It's his presence which is your strength. It's his work, which is your strength. And he shows this to be true. And I'm not going to tell you the entire story. I'm not going to go through all of this right now. But when we finally get to the moment in the story in which Gideon is about ready to fight the Midianites, he's got an army of 32,000 people. And he's like, here we go. We're pretty strong. We're a good army. I think we match up well. And I think we can win this. We're going to get off the bus, and they're going to be scared at us. And God says, hey, send all but 300 home." why? Because the numbers are not Gideon's strength. The numbers you can lift, the miles you can run, the score on your SAT, the numbers in your bank account, none of those are your strength. It's God who is your strength. The second takeaway is that a life of courage and strength, a life of courage and responsibility starts small and close to home. It starts small and close to home. Because before Gideon fights the Midianites, he's got a challenge. God tells him to tear down the the altars to other gods in his own family. There are altars in his own family that his father has built up. And what we find is so fascinating. The text tells us that he does. Gideon musters the courage to do it, but it gives us this crazy line in verse 27. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And remember, this is the one who has, has, with the living God who shows up in his life who has called him to a task and he's supposed to stand against an army that are like locusts in the land and he's afraid of his dad he's afraid of his dad you see climbing Everest doesn't start at base camp it starts at home it starts at home being a person of courage, acting like a man doesn't start when the enemy is standing before you. It starts in the quiet spots. It starts in getting up and praying for your family. It starts in leading the way in repentance. It starts in modeling Christ to your kids, your spouse. And if you're single, it starts by putting those things in practice today. It doesn't start when the the challenge is there, it starts long before that. We act like a man at home long before we do that at the gates of Mordor. He calls us to these things. You might be called to face orcs or even a balrock or something like that. They'll usually look like coming home, tired at the end of the day and not just checking out, not just living an entitled life. Not just uh, endlessly sifting through your phone. It comes with intention. It comes with strength for your family. It comes with sitting in patience. It comes with being a part of things that maybe aren't glamorous. And remember, you're not the hero of the story. It's what makes sense out of passages like Ephesians 5, which says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blameless. In the same way, husbands, parenthetically, Act like men. Be strong and courageous. Husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. You see, there's no strutting around here. There's no bullying. There's no pretense. There's a call to love those around you. Christ loves them. Call to honor, to sacrifice, to lay down your day, your desires, your agenda, your pride for your family, for your church, for those around you. Acting like men at home looks like Jesus. And God is at work with you and through you as you courageously take responsibility in your home. Let me give you a simple next step for taking responsibility in your home. Go home today. If you wait till tomorrow, you probably won't do it. So I'd say today. Read the rest of this Gideon story. Because I haven't even got to the craziest parts yet. Read what God does in Gideon's life. It's three chapters in Judges. Read that. You don't have to have all the answers for your family. You don't have to have all the answers. Just read it. Ask the Holy Spirit to be at work and talk about it with those around you. But take responsibility for pointing your family to God. Take responsibility for that and don't outsource it to anything or anyone else. Sit with this word. And finally, the last takeaway I would give for you is this. Fear and insecurity don't just disappear. We don't just decide, I'm courageous, I'm never going to be afraid again. It doesn't just go away. In fact, it's always there. And yet, the courageous, the ones who are acting like men, the ones who are taking responsibility, know not to run from it. That it's the presence of God who meets you in that moment. It's the one who says in verse 23, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. I'm with you. And you see, what we what we have here in Gideon is that he met with the living God face to face. He had God speaking blessing over his life, speaking identity over his life. And he still is like, God, I'm gonna need a sign times three. God gives him a sign, and he's like, Okay, I'm gonna need a little bit more because this is crazy stuff you're calling me to. And it isn't that the Gideon's trying to play games with God. It's that Gideon's a real person who has real fears and is really struggling with what it looks like to stand in his moment, the moment that God has called him to. I would do you a disservice if I if if I let you leave just thinking, act like men, be strong, you've got this. No. It's scary. It won't stop being scary it's only going to increase in scariness as our culture disintegrates around us. But we stand in this moment, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the living one who conquered death. It says, behold, I'm with you. You won't die. To act like a man, to be strong is about facing those fears not burying them, not acting like they don't exist, but standing in the fear and trusting God, standing for your family, standing for those around you, your church, for those who couldn't defend themselves, standing in those moments. And so men, God is inviting you to a life of purpose and meaning, a life of risk, A life of faith that looks nothing like just showing up once a week. Looks nothing like just kind of standing and putting yourself uh, together for an hour and a half a week. It looks like something far more, a life of courage and responsibility. A life where God meets us in those scary spots and lifts us from just existing in fantasy world. It's God meeting us in that. And for those here, man or woman, boy or girl, whether you've been to church for years or, or this is your first time in church in a while, all of us are begging for signs, right? All of us are saying, God, if you just give me a sign, I'd trust you so much more. We resonate with what Gideon cries out for. God, do this work. I, I want to believe you, but help me believe you are asking for signs. I would not recommend fleece. It's a strange one. It's a strange one. But God has given you the ultimate sign. He's given you the sign. And that he conquered death. He came and lived the perfect, sinless life that you and I could never live. And he conquered death. He gives these words to us. When we forget and we think, my circumstances are more. My circumstances are overwhelming. Ephesians 2 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. I don't know what you came in here with today. I don't know all the spaces in which you would respond and say, but God, I don't know about this. But God, I've made a mess of this. But God, but God I, I've screwed this up. But God, I've run so far, and I don't know if you could even find me at this point. But God, but God I, I've acted as if I have it all together in you, and I both know that I don't. But God, can you even forgive this? I don't know what your but God is today. I know that the answer from scripture, the answer from every page of this is that this God is coming after you. Maybe today you need to hear him speak over your identity of who you are. Act like a man and be strong. Take responsibility for your family. Take responsibility for your faith. Take responsibility for how you act on a Tuesday. Take responsibility. Know that he is with you. And maybe your question is like, God, I'm not even sure I believe you. And what you could hear today is the words of God, rich in mercy, who rescues us from the grave. Will you bow your heads with me?